You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for a battery for your truck, a battery for your trail camera, or literally everything in between, including specialized batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery retail store and talk with a battery specialist. There are thousands of locations all over the United States and if you want to find out more about the batteries they sell, the culture, visit their website, interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. <laughs> Hey guys, before we kick this podcast off, just a reminder of the awesome food plot blends and um, soybeans from Stratton Seed Company. Stratton Seed Company is a big part of what makes this podcast possible. With their support, um, we wouldn't be here giving you this podcast twice a week. So check them out at GoStrattonSeed.com. It is the tail end of spring food plot season, but... Fall food plot planting will be here before we know it, especially you guys up north. So if you're thinking about all your different um, planting and plans, don't hesitate to check out Ghost Stratton Seed. Phenomenal products, phenomenal prices. Um, anywhere from the Revival Blend, which if you not have anything like the Revival Blend on your property, um, you better have some alfalfa fields or something that's filling that same um, that same gap. So check out the revival blend um, that needs to be, you know, you'll plant it anywhere uh, from fall planting to frost seeding to early spring planting. But revival blend, one of our favorites, also the legacy blend, 12 species blend, Ooh, almost year round um, benefits. Um, so check them out at GoStratonSeed.com. All right, guys, welcome back. Land Legacy Podcast, Adam here. Uh, as you heard over on the other podcast, Matt's traveling in Maryland and Virginia um, today and this week. I will be flying out in a few days for Ohio uh, right after just getting back a few days ago from Texas. Uh, Matt worked in Arkansas just a few days ago. It's been just unbelievable this spring. Um, no complaints here for what our business has been uh, growing and the amount of landowners we've been working with um, man it's just been it's just been chaos uh, usually you know um, in the sp winter spring and early summer or I guess winter and spring is just hectic but then things start slowing down into um, later spring and it gives us time to kind of catch our breath and get some other projects underway um, but that is, it has not been the case this year. We're just slammed. So we want to thank all of you guys for 
whether we've worked with you or not, spreading, um, you know, talking about us with friends or referring us over to landowners, you know, um, or just frankly, just sharing our podcast from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you for, for the, uh, following and for, um, just taking the message and running with it and, and using it to help improve your property for all wildlife, uh, and the health of the land. Um, with all that being said, man, it's just been so chaotic, um, that, Doggone it, it kind of sucks sometimes when you can't even get on a tractor and plant your own food plots. And so uh, we got Chad coming on. Chainsaw Chad's back. and uh, Tractor Chad. Tractor Chad. Tractor Chad, um, who's been planting all of our food plots on the Prairie Hollow property and the family farm because Matt and myself are on the road so much lately. Um, And Chad, being a government employee, he's got some time... To spend. I've been I've been stuck <laughs> teleworking, so I'm actually in Missouri. So in the afternoons, I can go to the farm. That's right. Yeah, and so it's been after uh, after. Well, and it helps with it being summer. We have so many hours of the day. It's, yeah, it gets dark can, at eight I can o'clock. Work and work and go down and plant for three or four hours and knock out a bunch of stuff. Yes, and so you've been hammering it out and. As far as I know, everything's planted. As far as I know, yeah. So, <laughs> as far as as far as right now, depending upon the rain and everything else, yeah. You know, right. we're always tweaking tweaking our system and working on stuff, and we may broadcast some stuff later. Or who knows? We, we may, may have to replant later. Drill some pasture. Drill some different stuff. You never know. Yep. So, you know, in that being said. Um, we probably mentioned it before, but we have done so many tests, um, and tweaking and trying all kinds of implements and things. And the new, the new, uh, famous plants or whatever it may be. We, I think we've tried so much and going on 25 years of food plotting. I'm trying to think here when the first food plot was planted, but it was a long, long time ago. And do you remember what was the first food plot? Was that the Buck Oats? I think so. That was the first there was time a place we actually in town planted. That sold Buck Oats. I bought them and planted them. I think it was, I mean, you weren't even hunting yet. Yeah. It was, I well, think I was just old enough to hunt. So, so you would have been right at, right around 12, 13. Yeah. And so I would have been right at, nine eight or nine so yeah long time ago and uh come a long way since then (laughs) yeah for sure two bottom plows sink it in the sink it in the dirt and go on um and so you know we're always testing it and so if you guys have seen the announcement that uh we're now working with first light um out in idaho and um and all and wearing all their gear and you know we have we have a few other sponsors. Uh, we don't really. We've got some deals where we're just dealers with other companies uh, because we're dealers for multiple companies within that realm um, or within that category, if you will. And so we don't have a ton of sponsorships, but we certainly try to uh, to find products that we believe in. And I think you know we've talked about him before, but. Gay Brown has been just amazing in the agricultural world. Chad and I both have read his book, um, Dirt to Soil. And if you haven't and you're interested in that sort of thing, I would strongly encourage you to even get the audiobook. I listened to it. I think we both listened to an audiobook version um, yeah. while riding a tractor, I believe, <laughs> um, and, and I know traveling. I and so, you know, you listen to Dirt to Soil and it just inspires you on things to do uh, on your farm. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we do and we're working with various companies, but one thing we've always strived to do is find the biggest bang for the buck. Um, you know, growing up where some years we didn't plant food plots cause we didn't have any money to buy seed, uh, or we didn't have any time to plant food plots. 
Um, and I think food plotting is one of those things that can drain a annual um, allowance for a farm fairly quickly. When you consider seed, consider fertilizer, and then you consider all the time and other uh, diesel or gas to keep everything going, the maintenance. And then if you're buying all the implements to do it, no-till drills or whatever it may be, sprayers, um, man, you can you can really spend some money doing food plots. And one thing we've always tried to do is never be satisfied. And so I'm tying it in with Gabe Brown's book. I think a part of his book he talks about trying to fail at least once every year. And it sounds crazy, um, but it's because they're always wanting to make sure they're trying new things and never being satisfied with what they believe to be the absolute truth and the only way you can ever do anything. Um, And that's something that Chad and I have really tried to do in the food plot world is, you know, we, I think we would both agree, Chad, you can back me up on this, that dollar for dollar, time, minute for minute, no-till drilling has been our most successful way of getting a successful uh, food plot. No, without a doubt. And that's what I was thinking as you were saying that. Think about some of the ways that we used to plant with the with plow and the disc and all of that. There is zero possibility of us having everything planted if we were doing that. Everything oh. that we planted, I mean, I, I planted a 20-acre field this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no way with the implements that we use we could have ever gotten any of that stuff done. So, I mean, yeah. a no-till drill, without a doubt, is... Has a, saved this time, and we get most... better seed-to-soil contact. Yes. Yeah. But, here's but yeah. saying that, I'll go ahead and I think go where you were talking. They can also be expensive. Can be. <laughs> they are expensive. Especially if you're buying the drill. I mean, we've got a county drill that we can rent. That's what we've been doing. And it's, I think, $8 an acre. So it's it's affordable that way. But then you think back when we first started, we didn't have a tractor that had hydraulics to even run the drill. I mean, so you think of some people planting their food pots, they're having to buy a tractor with hydraulics. If they're buying a drill, you think of the thousands and thousands of dollars for how many acres of food plot are they planting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's part of why, even though we're renting a drill, you know, we're always experimenting with that stuff. For sure, because then there's a lot of people that... You know, when they buy a farm, the only thing that instead of buying a tractor, they buy a UTV. Yeah. Because it's more usable for the family. It's more usable for the hunt. You can have a lot more uses for that piece of equipment than a tractor. Yes. And I'm trying to think. So so if you're just joining us and you haven't listened to our podcast before when Chad and I describing... Back in the day, what we're talking about is we used to use a big disc plow, two, two, I guess a two-bladed disc plow, and we would plow, and then we would harrow or disc, and then vice versa. So if we harrowed, we'd probably try to disc, and then we would broadcast the seed, and then we would cover it with either the disc or we would drag a piece of fence, chain link, or even cut a tree and drag it over the top of it. So when it was all said and done, there was about four trips that the uh, tractor At would least. go over. At least. And Our fall stuff, when it was so dry, would be even more disking. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, sometimes we would disk it, or we would plow it or disk it twice, go east to west and then north to south just to try to break it up oh my goodness i wish we could go back and stop ourselves from doing that um because now we're paying the price for all that yes now we have very little organic matter um we have low soil ph and um we have a lot of weed problems and (laughs) we're gonna get over it um we're fixing it pretty quickly but 
At the same time, we're dealing with like manganese uh, toxicity, some very low uh, micronutrient levels that we're trying to address and bring back to health or bring back to adequate levels. Um, but we paid the price um, greatly. Yeah. And, um, but I think it also helps us though in helping other people in the fact that we've seen our soil be at the lowest of lows. Yeah, for sure. And, and our food plots at their production level. I mean, that was part of where we went to the Gabe Browns and the people in the ag industry was because our food plots had suffered so badly yes. that we were looking for answers on ways to improve them. Yeah. And the hunting industry was really not where to find those answers. No. It was it was the Gabe Browns, the Ray Archuletas, the guys like that that were <laughs> that were really coming up with some great things for for the soil, honestly. And yeah. So they, that's the, where the great thing about those guys is, uh, specifically Gabe, is he has to be good at what he does with his soil or managing his soil because it's his livelihood. Yeah. And I think, I hope I, get, I, I don't give too much disrespect when I say this, but those guys are farmers. And when we as hunters uh, start to plant food plots, we get to pretend farm. We don't really, yeah. it's not based on our production or our yield doesn't really result in money being made. It just means more food available to the wildlife. Well, you know, with the food plotting side, I, I see a trend right now that I'm kind of worried about <clears throat> with, you know, we, we go through fads in the hunting side. There's, there's fads, products, things that I see a, a big push for soil health. Yep. Which but is great. It's I, great in a sense, but I'm scared that people are hearing soil health and thinking that they can plant certain plants and see their soil improve overnight. Yeah. And if you listen to people like a Gabe Brown, the they'll tell you that. Yes. The agronomist will tell you that, you know, it's a you, lot like a crystal vase or glass vase it may take a lot like trust too it may take a long time to build that but it takes one bad move and you can be years behind again you can shatter that yeah. vase in no time you, you can't plant a monoculture and expect your soil health and, and see your organic matter go up full percentages in a year yeah. it, that's not happening doesn't happen and um I see that, like, so if you were to, I'll just address um, Gabe Brown's five main things, if I can remember them correctly. I did, was not planning on saying this on the podcast, but I think it's crucial <laughs> for talking soil health. We kind of took a turn from our original, from our original yeah. discussion, but we're talking food plots this week. Uh, again, because food plots is such a fun thing to talk about, um, but Gabe's thing is armor on the soil, so we always have we don't have bare ground. We always have a living root, or he says a living root, <laughs> <laughs> um, which means there's something always growing. Even in the winter, we can have some sort of cool season, you know, turnips or uh, radishes or cereal grains um, or Austrian winter peas or annual clovers growing. They may not be growing as crazy as you would expect them to, but they're still alive and growing and photosynthesizing. Um, and then you have limited or no tillage, no disturbance, so you're not turning that soil. Um, and then you have grazing. Um, he's, I think that's the one that some that that gets thrown out a little bit because you don't really think of grazing being as a way to build soil health. But uh, to my knowledge, there's few like Gabe in this world that are doing improving their soil as quickly as him. Um, and a big part of that is because he uses uh, grazing on his landscape. And then the other one, uh, number five, is diversity. Um, and I mentioned it before, but uh, there's some research that says, and it makes sense from a, from a natural standpoint, but it needs to be six species or more to actually prove or provide uh, 
monstrous benefits. Um, so if you're planting one and two species, three species, you might as well be planting one um, species because there's really no gain. But as soon as you bump it over six, then you start really improving your soil um, by different root systems, mining different nutrients, um, different root structures. And so uh, that's that's Gabe's five. Well, and this his five leads us to what we've one of the things we've discussed we were going to discuss on this podcast is some of our experiments yeah probably one of the one of the experiments that you and i are i i mean i we i don't know that we've talked about this for sure but i know in my case it's probably one of the most one of the experiments i'm most excited about is the using cattle yes me too i i can't wait to see more of it and and be experimenting with how we use the cows Absolutely. In our, in our food plotting. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people that that pertains to that food plot and have cows, but are trying to figure out ways to do it where it's like, you can use these cows and not have to spend a lot of money on equipment. You can be making money by making your cows happy, throwing them in there on, on your diverse food plots. Yep. And, and I think to me, that's, that's, that is one of the most exciting things for us is implementing the, using the cows into the system. You know, back when we first started this whole thing of food plots, you and I hated cows. Um, and we hated, I was, hated I was cows for a long, today. long time um, until a, recent years. I had a long walk down to the four-wheeler and I was thinking about that, the, that exact thing of there was a time when we hated them because we dealt with them getting into the food plots all the time. And to think that I'm most excited about using them in our food plottings or in our food plots is is crazy but yeah it is it is and and it's something we'll be bringing to you guys more and more in the future as we uh, utilize the tool of cattle even more uh, if you've listened to frank and kyle much at all on the podcast you know that they're big in cattle grazing and disturbance natural disturbances and that's what we're trying to replicate um, so that's one of our big tests coming up is um you know, Chad, we, you mentioned earlier about the limited use of herbicide and, and soil health, and I think that's definitely something that you see a lot of people are starting to discuss. Um, but going back into our testing cycle is what we're what we're seeing in the soil health movement is is only meaning that they're trying to limit herbicide use. A lot of these guys aren't completely getting rid of it, so you still have to have a sprayer. Um, but then they're just adding more implements to it. And in some cases, it's a pretty expensive implement when we're talking about the crimper. And, um, you know, I, I haven't seen enough to really prove to me that it's, that it's the answer. Um, and that's why we continue because I think one of the biggest faults, biggest problems that we've seen in food plot world is that they cost too much money, um, for, for, when you look at the ratio of actual acres that you're managing, um, that most people are managing, and you throw in a no-till drill and you throw in any other implement that that is costly, um, you really spend a lot of money for limited amounts of acres. And so we've always set out to try to find ways, because we know that the no-till drill or or even planters are the way to go if you want to maximize your and really increase your chances of success but at the same time there's a lot of guys that don't have that ability to have a tractor with hydraulics and then a a drill rental just right up the road um, or a tractor big enough to pull a no-till drill and so we're trying to find ways that you can plant low tillage or no tillage limited herbicide or no herbicide with utvs and atvs so, Chad? Um, well, yeah. and I was just thinking, like, even as far as the cattle thing, this is – all these experiments are – it's – they're not in a sense that you're going to be able to figure out everything in one year. I mean, even with the cows, I mean, you've – a video that you'll put together at some point, we learned just in looking at the at the plot that we had the cows in this year, learned something to use later on in our – I mean – and you'll show it in the video, but we learned something about using the cows and as far as the timing on when to put them into the food plot. 
Absolutely. Because we've had them in, in Food Plus before and terminated. I mean, and you posted a picture of where they terminated the cereal grains, but then they completely eliminated them. This other food plot, we put them in there later, and it was all in the timing of when we put them in. So, like, every year we expect to be learning more and more in moving the cows in at certain times. And it's the same with, I think you were getting ready to go into the other experiment I used this year. Yeah. Or today. Today you used and, an experiment, and it's similar to a, to something we've used in the past. Um, I, and I, I mean, we, I'm trying to think when we did that the, the first time. 2000, that was 2015, I think. Um, was it that late? I can't remember. 2014, been, 2015, it, somewhere in there. I, I, and it's one that we had it out there enough. I, I've seen other people try to try to use the same idea out there, and it's yet again, it's one of those that you learn something new every time you do it. Yes. I mean, we learned something. I tried it last year on one that you guys were spraying all the plots. And then it got too dry. So it's, it's rainfall dependent. Yep. And what I was using was we were trying to drag or roll over the, the fall plot that had grown up, the cereal grains and the annual clovers and everything. Well, you had sprayed that and it had already terminated all of that and it was all dry. Well, when I drug the food plot, everything was dry and brittle and broke off. Yeah. So it failed. Pretty mixed results. Yeah. yeah pretty fail. much a fail on that one. It was just too yeah. dry. Another experiment so that we I did knew. since we're talking about them, too, we need to mention our soybean planting that we did last year without any herbicide. Um, yeah. You know, it's on our YouTube channel. If you don't, if you're not subscribed, please go subscribe over to our YouTube channel. But we, uh, we decided to, you know, we planted the Stratton Legacy Blend, which has four cereal grains, three annual clovers, three types of brassicas, and Austrian winter peas. And uh, we planted right into that without any sprayer, any kind of rolling, any any kind of termination. We just took the drill with soybeans and drilled right into it. And I don't think we ever found a difference between the the average height and productiveness of those soybeans versus ones where we had sprayed the food plot. Um, I know it, it was one we were worried at first because it took them a little longer. Yeah, I mean they didn't they didn't shoot up like the rest of them, but as the summer wore on and as it was drier, that those the fall plot had where it was still decaying. I think it kept the soil a little moister. Yeah. And the other stuff that we terminated early, that stuff faded faded slower, and by the end, they had caught up to the other beans. Yeah. I mean, they looked, you could tell no difference. You could tell zero difference. Now, you know, there was more weeds scattered through the plot, mare's tail, ragweed, um, and then even some noxious weeds, uh, Cerisa lespedeza being one of them. Um but we went the whole year without any herbicide use on that whole. So then once the beans, uh, later in the f- summer, fall, I guess it was late August, we drilled Legacy Blend right back into it. And, man, we, you know, mixed results from that because of the weather. It was so dry last fall. Um, we finally got, we went almost a month and a half without rain. We finally got rain, and two weeks later, we had a hard freeze. Um, and so we basically had a two-week growing window. Um, well, and <clears throat> the, those plots up there, that plot, it's a it's a newer plot. So we've had very little planting on it, so it didn't have a lot of a duff layer on there. I mean, it, it dried out. It, it dried out worse than a plot that we've been planting for years and had a pretty good duff layer in yeah and so basically we ended up with uh now we looking at it this spring we're going to spray it to control some of those like cerisa lespedeza and a, and a few woody sprouts because we just shoot it was 2018 i think when this food plot was created so it hasn't been uh about an acre and three quarter 
1.75 acres, um, very long. And we went, uh, we went the second summer without any herbicide use. So we'll hit it it again. And I mean, you think about the cost savings, if you don't have to, if you do that to where every other year you're spraying your food plots, you're going to have more weeds, but perspective. Or or you rotate food plots. If you have enough of them, you spray a certain amount and you keep track of which ones and, and spray them to where you, you give them a break every few years. And then in turn, you've, you've minimized your chemical use. Yep. Yep. And so, so a lot of, a lot of cool things we got testing. Um, but let's jump back to our, uh, original, you know, when we're discussing the drag and the roller, um, we first started this, the concept was instead of using a no-till drill, let's use something a lot, that's a lot more easily affordable and as well as anybody, almost anybody can get this, um, uh, because it's not just a cultipacker or a roller or a drag shoot you could get tires and wire tires together and use them it's basically it's basically just knocking yeah go out to your grandpa's and find that big tire manure spreader that he's got where he drives over his pastures and smears all the manure across the fields um basically the concept is um we would originally we would spray then we would broadcast and then we would broadcast a seed and then we would drag the area and knock over that vegetation. Um, the, the very first time we did it, we, we had rain coming in, so we did not spray. We broadcast a somewhat diverse summer mix. Yep. And got pretty good results. I mean, for what, for what we had in it, we broadcast and drug it, and that was it. Yep. Or rolled it some of both and uh it was a success in my mind yeah i thought it did pretty good <laughs> for sure um, it did a for, lot better than monoculture no more, soybeans getting hammered by the deer no more time than we put into it and then this past year last fall we were trying we were dealing with a cerisa problem in a big bottom field rain yet again rain coming in we didn't have time to drill. You'd sprayed the cerisa and killed it. And all I did with that one was I used a broadcast spreader on the back of a tractor and two chunks of chain link and spread the – what mix did we use there? It was the Bounty Hunter from Strat. Okay, yeah. So it was a six-species – five or six-species blend from Stratton. Um that basically broadcasted it and and ran the chain link over it, and we had already previously sprayed. How how early on had I sprayed? Like it was a lot of that was pretty dead. Okay, so it had been a week or two. Yeah, it between. was pretty dead. And our, our main goal for that one, it was to provide. It was well for one thing to have living root. But yep. also to provide forage for the cattle the next spring and this this yep. coming spring, and, and hopefully suppress the Cerisa lespedeza. Yes, yeah, because that field is set fallow. We had a we had a share crop farmer, uh, I guess a tenant farmer who had disket planted corn, mixed results with the corn, and he cut the corn. He picked the corn. And then he cut the and baled the corn, so there was nothing but bare ground, and turned like not just bare ground, but turned previously disc. So all the cerisa that we had kind of put behind us years ago um, was right there coming back, and so that's why we had such a bad infestation of cerisa lespedeza. That's why this spring you planted that same field in soybeans. So we're going to spray it and get the cerisa killed off again. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. the fall stuff, I would say, for no more than we did on it, we had a pretty good stand. The cows were pretty happy in there. For yeah, we had a really good stand weeks. for sure. A really good stand of it, and and uh, um, cows did awesome. And man, the pollinators did awesome. Um, oh, that place was. 
I saw so many like of the native pollinators. That was where we kept seeing. I kept seeing monarchs down there on the crimson. Yeah. Awesome. So then, getting to what we what I did today. So from last year, I learned not to spray ahead of time. Do you need it green when you're when you're dragging? So yep. I went in and broadcast another experimental mix. It's it was. Uh, Cowpeas, Cowpeas, Milo, uh, the Game Changer soybeans, and sunflowers. Yep. I think that was it because that was what we'd, we'd had there. And all I did was broadcast, went into the Legacy mix, and hooked a chunk of chain link onto the four-wheeler. And it honestly took me probably a quarter of the time it took me to broadcast it to drag it because <laughs> I could just fly around on the four-wheeler, drag it down, and that's that's the experiment. We're going to see what happens. We're supposed to get rain Tuesday, but that was I mean, it laid everything flat. You'll have you've got pictures. I sent you pictures of it. Yep. But I mean, as far as depending upon rainfall, I think we accomplished what we wanted. It it laid that the fall plot, all of its growth, it laid it over as a mulch layer on top of the seed to protect the seed but also hold moisture in. Yep. And then you we wait. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's uh you know, it's, and it's I think it's a gamble with the big seeds. Yes, it is. That's, and that's that's been the question I think we've always heard is well you need Seeds like soybeans, they need to be in the dirt. You need a good seed bed. They need to, they need this, they need that. We've had, we've had decent luck in the past at times. Yeah, in Dep- doing depending on to depending this. on the year, and it all really comes down to weather. Um, yes, if it's if very, we can get the rain, very rainfall dependent, and that's why no-till drilling is is kind of the the better option, the best option because you really there's a lot more leeway in rainfall and weather because that seed is still protected and, and is not being exposed. So birds or rodents can eat it and carry it off or you get too much rain and it washes it away. Um, that's kind of the, the downfall of, of broadcasting. But at the same time, if you can broadcast and catch a rain and then catch another rain a day later or have some really wet mornings and you have that thatch layer helping hold that moisture in, you can really get a lot of great, um, you can get a lot of really great uh, results. But if you get a quarter inch of rain or a half inch of rain right after you broadcast everything and all that seed swells up and starts growing and then you get hit with two weeks of heat, you're gonna that seed's going to die. And that's yeah. what we're really trying to avoid is broadcasting and catching a, a good rain and then nothing um and so that's kind of that's the big gamble and you need uh, you need continued moisture for yeah. that method is yeah the is the key is to have continued moisture and not just a rainfall and then dry yeah so i i think it, these are all just tests because um, hopefully more people can use them or utilize them because we're we're here just trying to learn and find the very best way that you can have successful food plots that don't cost an arm and a leg because I would rather you have the ability to save money and put that money elsewhere or not make your family mad at you because you spend so much money on food plots or you know over time it allows you to do some other things. Um, that are more beneficial to the wildlife rather than just planting a food plot. Well, um, I, I want to say I... something before we, because I am a little bit, this whole soil health movement is great. I love the fact that more people aren't focused on just the one-dimensional target species. That's all I'm doing this for. But at the same time, there's a big difference in soil health in agriculture and soil health principles in food plotting. Because... The people that are doing it in agriculture, it's their livelihood. It's the income producing. 
Um, in the food plot world, it doesn't mount to anything if it's if it's good, bad, successful, or failure. It's still just a food plot. It's not a huge loss or a huge gain either way. So if we like, really like care this. about soil health, why don't we plant species that are adapted and native to the site that provide more benefit to the whole ecosystem, all the flora and fauna? Because if if we care enough about the microbes in the soil, then we should care enough about the pollinators and the bees or the, the birds um, and all the other native species. And so we would plant something that's that they're adapted to and have evolved with over time rather than just a a six-way blend of or a 12-way blend of non-native species that are probably in our food plot variety. Okay, yep. there, I'm done. I, I said it. I said what yep. I need to say. Um, what I was going to say, what I was trying to say was, too, that's the great thing about this, like the method that I use today. I used a, a old chunk of chain link that we had laying around the, around the farm and the four-wheeler and I broadcast it by hand out of a bucket. Yeah. That's even crazy. if, even if we get, I mean, I may not have killed everything in there that's growing in that food plot, but if we get a pretty good growth out of the seed that I spread and even had some weeds and everything else, what's not to love about that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, so be it if some ragweed comes in because there's some spots that didn't have didn't have the seed come up. Yep, it's like that's just a benefit. There's so many things in in the food plotting side that we're worried about having them look like a crop field, and in reality, it's probably more beneficial to have scattered ragweed through our food plots. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the big things testing is trying to find a way for guys with four wheelers or UTVs that are, are looking for, um, looking to get away from tillage. Um, I think a lot of us by now know that tillage is not great, especially year. You know, if you, if you till the soil, if you do it once every once every year and it's just a light little disking um, and you have pretty good soil already, you're probably not going to notice a huge difference. But if you're in a spot like us where soil is very shallow anyway and you go out and you till in the spring and you deep do deep tillage in the fall and you do that twice a year, you're going to see some changes. If you're taking soil tests over time, you're going to see, wow, my organic matters and pH is really dropping. Um, and that's where most guys are at. Most, most people are not in Iowa or northern Missouri or anywhere where there's a lot of crops grown. Most of us are planting junky little openings, small openings, uh, even decent fields. But if it's pretty good, it's chances are it's used in agriculture some way or another. Um, and so, you know, just trying to find ways to maximize our return uh, and increase our return on our investment to where... What we do matters, and that's why we constantly strive to fail. <laughs> Going back to that Gabe Brown idea is we try so many different techniques a year to make sure that maybe there's something we're missing. And if if you can't get a drill into some of your food plots, and you're trying to do no-till drill, uh, you're trying to do no-till planting, and you're trying to really be conscious of. Uh, uh, or cautious of soil health, then maybe this is an option. And, um, man, yeah, we've had pretty good success with it. Yep. So so I guess do you want to talk about our other experiment? Yeah, let's hear it. So the, uh, well, I guess the other experiment we're talking about is uh, is our food plot architecture stuff too. Yep. And that was, which we actually mixed, the ancestry with heritage in some of it to add a little I mean it added a little diversity it had some sedan grass in it too yeah and I think the reason for that is sedan grass and Egyptian wheat get used a lot for annual screening 
And I think anybody who's done it much realizes that sometime after the first couple of hard frosts, you start seeing that sag and start to lean and then eventually fall over because it's so top-heavy and the stem is very almost spaghetti noodle-like that it doesn't stand up real well. But then if you planted something like, um, and I said top-heavy for a reason, because if you plant something like sun hemp, you'll notice that it's bigger at the base and it gets it's more like an arrowhead shape where it's it's pointy at the top and it just gets bigger the far more like a christmas tree format and so it's bigger at the base and smaller at the top and it's got more lignin in the stem so it seems to stand up really well in the uh in the summer or in, in the winter and early spring and so our idea is you get more coverage uh you should hopefully with sun hemp supporting the sedan grass, you may get a better screen um, than you would just just the heritage. So we mix ancestry with heritage for a screen. Or you did, Chad. I was on the road. I was in yeah, Texas I sweating. So, and that's what we went through and did. I think we did it a little wider. I was telling you, I think we did another strip or two compared to last year to give a little more bulk to it. And then we actually went, or I guess I should say, I actually went on the other side of the plot from the traditional setup and did a couple strips on that side too to hopefully push the deer on out into the plot. Yeah. Hoping that they come on out into the open. It's essentially adding to a soft edge. I mean, we have plans on that on a lot of our food plots anyway to do it with more native stuff, but this is a a temporary, like, annual adding to it. Realistically, what we would like to have is that timbered, feathered edge where it's more shrubs and stuff and go to then this herbaceous layer, but it's just pushing the deer on. It's it's a edge that's also a lot of palatable fruits. Yes, that's exactly right. It's an edge that I answered this question on our YouTube channel today or yesterday. Uh, basically, um, you know, we're we're using this along one of the fields that's close to Gravel Road. It's like, well, aren't the deer still going to eat that? Well, they sure, they eat it during the summer months when antlers aren't developed. And by the time antlers start really developing, it's growing so fast they can't keep up with it. And even if they are eating there late summer, it's so tall that, it's not they're not easily seen but then as it matures they go to the more palatable food sources and so they're not looking they're not standing right next to the road same thing would be true with the food plot edges they're coming into the area that's easy pickings it's laying out on a silver platter for them and oddly enough it's in range bow bow range (laughs) and and i mean it could work in the same sense you know we've talked about edge feathering before and the fact that if you can edge feather your food plots, a deer standing out in the timber can't see out into the food plot as well as if it's straight timber all the way to the edge. They can stand 75, 100 yards and stage up outside the food plot until dark. For sure. I mean, we've seen that time and time again, especially on public land stuff, where the deer are used to pressure and they just stand out there. You can see them in the timber, but they don't come into the food plots until yep. dark. It's like if yeah. you can feather that edge either any way, this is another way you can do it, is using these screens. Yep. Using these these plantings and do a drill strip or two around the edge and force them on out into it. For sure. And that's sure. kind of what we're doing there. And then we also, this is a, a like dog leg of a bigger field. So I also did a strip on the on the lower edge to kind of cut off the, the big portion of the field from this main plot. Yeah. Absolutely. Well Chad, so, hopefully hopefully there's some guys out there that are I know experimenting with food plots is fun. That's what I like about it so yeah. much. Um but our big thing now is trying to figure out how to get the cows implemented into it and still have even well and still improving the productiveness of our of our food plot so that's going to be yeah, fun to follow the, and hopefully the, more people enjoy it and follow along as well the experiment i hope that other people will like reach out 
and tell us their own experiments and what they found. It's, that's the only way you, you learn anything in this is comparing notes. I mean, we've got buddies that experiment with stuff, and we all compare back and forth. It's like if anyone, anyone else is trying some of these things and they're learning stuff, it always helps to reach out to us and let us know what they're figuring out. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. Um, thanks for joining us. Chad, thanks for joining us. Uh, once Anytime. again, it's subbing in and uh, planting food plots and all that fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing it. Well, there he goes. There, there you have it, guys. There's Chad joining us, our food plot planner. Uh, man, it's been so hectic. It's it's good to have somebody like him, so we can't thank him enough um, for jumping in and, and driving that tractor and planting and, and all that fun stuff. And can't thank you guys enough for joining us. Um, going to kind of start bringing something back that was pretty popular in podcast, but we're going to get more intentional about it. But we're going to bring you our plant and animal profile brought to you by pure air natives um one of our favorite one of our favorite things to do is restore habitat and pure air natives that's what they live and breathe is restoring prairies and plantings and um, based out of missouri they sell native grasses and forbs wildflowers from crp contracts to native landscape plantings but this week's um before I say it, I guess go check them out at pureairnatives.com. Also check them out on social media. So what we're going to do is highlight some of the plants and animals that they highlight on their page. And so we're talking about blue wild indigo this week. For any of you guys that are looking for, um, man, I hear this so much. It's like the un, we don't talk about it a lot, but uh, we always try to nail down and figure out what it is the other family members like um, from the clients that we work with. And a lot of times the, the flowering plants and the diverse landscapes, what a lot of the family members that maybe in particular aren't hunters enjoy. So um, we're giving you these plants that are native, um, that you could utilize for your wildlife or just the attractiveness of plants for your family to come see. And wild blue indigo or false blue indigo, herbaceous perennial in the legume family, um, grows in shrub-like clusters of indigo blue, pea-shaped flowers. Pods can be used in dried flower arrangements. Kind of a slang word that, or term that I would hear is rattle bush because um, the seed pods kind of make a little rattle when they're dried and the seeds are still in them. Um, but it's native to most of Central and Eastern North America and particular, particularly prevalent in the Midwest. It's easy to grow on average to dry to medium even well-drained soil and full sun. Man, I've seen this plant everywhere. Beautiful, beautiful plant. Insects love it. Um, easy to grow, but it can take a few years to bloom. Patience is worth it because the beautiful blue blooms live very long. Um, so kind of sum up the wild blue indigo, herbaceous perennial. Grows in full sun, medium dry soil, two to three foot tall. Uh, blue flowers, kind of a violet even um, and it blooms from may through june uh, it's a great nectar source so uh, pure air natives plant profile this week right here on land and legacy podcast guys thanks for joining us once again quick shout out head over to youtube so many videos dropping throughout the we're kind of shifting just out of focus on our podcast trying to get you more video content um, so you guys can enjoy a lot of the sites that we actually talk about um, each week right here on the podcast. So go over to YouTube and subscribe to the page. Thank you. Yeah.